welcome to the Global Security and Protection Group podcast. This is your host, Ron Jacobus. We hope you enjoy these conversations on executive protection and security management as we meet with security practitioners and industry thought leaders. Welcome to the Global Security and Protection Group podcast. This is your host, Ron Jacobus, and today I am joined by Justin Keating, a protective security practitioner and former government contractor. He is the founder of Keating Global Risks and has over 20 years of various work experience in the national security and intelligence community. He is a Marine veteran and uh, with multiple combat tours in the Middle East and is a former independent contractor for CIA where he ran clandestine protective operations in Central Asia and the Middle East for over a decade. Uh, You're also a fellow at the Joseph Rainey Center for Public Policy, where you discuss topics on national security and homeland security. Um, Justin, I'm going to fight the urge to throw my plans out the window for this episode and just nerd out on foreign policy with you. Awesome. Sounds good. But instead, you've joined me uh, today, uh, just a couple weeks after publishing your first book, called The Protector Series, A Guide to Solo Protection. And I've been uh, blitzing my way through it. Uh, Admittedly, finished the last final page last night, uh, quelling a toddler meltdown at the same time. (laughs) So uh, before we dive in today, I want to thank you for uh, joining me on the program. Congrats to your first book. And uh, we'll get started today. Well, I appreciate you having me on, man. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, So let's kind of peel it back to the uh, beginning of your professional journey. Uh, Like so many in the industry, you served in the U.S. military, uh, chose the Marine Corps in 2002. Can you share with our audience a little bit of a a snapshot of your military career and then how it's impacted your journey in the protective security industry? Yeah, sure. Um, Bonnie, I've always wanted, I always wanted to be in the military. Uh, Growing up, I just... I mean, my mom used to make a joke that she had this, she has this picture um, of me when I was like six years old sleeping with like a toy M16, you know? And so it's like, I was destined to like go down that route for some reason. Um, Well, kind of starting out, let's go back before the Marine Corps. Awesome. Yep. I didn't know very much about, knew there was Marines out there, but growing up, all I knew about was Army and Navy SEALs. That's the only thing I ever knew about because watching the movie like Delta Force and then the old school movie Navy SEAL with Charlie Sheen. Yep. That's all I ever knew. Um, but I knew I hated cold water. So like I didn't want to go that route with the SEALs. Yep. Uh, so when I turned 18, I actually joined the U.S. Army and I went to Fort Benning, Georgia and wildly, I got stuck at their reception station, which is, which is what they call 30th AG or 30th AG, I think it is. Okay. Um, I was literally stuck there for like two months. And, you know, first time away from like really away from home alone. I hated it, man. I was just like, you know what? Screw this. I quit. I want to go home. Send me home. This is not the, this is not what I expected, you know, in my head. Uh, so Fast forward, they send me home under the 90 days with like an uncharacterized discharge, go home. Then I just start working some, you know, random jobs here and there. But dude, that like ate at me inside, man, like that I quit like that. Yeah. And so 9-11 came around, uh, I was sitting there and I was watching the second plane hit 
And I said, you know what? I got to fix this thing with me. Uh, so I literally was on my way to the recruiting office that afternoon, was going to go back in the army and fix that problem. But the only office that was open was the Marine, Marine recruiting office. And a high school friend of mine was in there as a recruiter. No way. And I was like, <laughs> oh, hey, let's just do this, you know? And so it kind of launched the way, the path that I should have, you know, probably should have been on the entire time. Man, that's incredible. So, I mean, we got law enforcement, first responders, military, you know, everybody likes to say that they had this calling into their action. And uh, it sounds like you had the same thing, mm -hmm. just eating at you, eating at you. And then the catalyst came, which was 9-11, which for both of our generations was kind of a catalyst for, for most of us mm -hmm. um, in the directions that we ended up going. And it, it sounds like your story exactly fits that. You, you had this calling that just kept eating at you and you ended up, ended up going. Yeah, it was the, the push, man. I, you know, I never really quit a lot in my life growing up. You know, I never quit soccer or any of the sports I played. Um, and then when I quit on like the military initially, I was just like, what am I doing? You know, internally, I sat at home for like three years and was just like, man, this, I hate this, you know, like, why did I quit? Why did I quit? I'm like, ah, I just move on to the next job, next job, you know, and then 9-11 hit. And I, I, I truly think that was like, you know, God's way of saying, hey, man, go fix it. You know, this is what you're destined to be. So, man. You know, that's something. And uh, you spent your time in the military, did a couple combat tours, correct? Yeah, two combat tours in Iraq. I uh, was there for the invasion in 2003, and then the big push into Fallujah in 04, into Ramadi, into Hit. Just the, we ran the whole gamut of uh, the Sunni triangle there. So, yeah, man. So then, yeah, so then I get out in 2006. Um, I came back home. And was working as a corporate security officer for a very large trucking company, um, working nights, literally, literally monitoring trucks. Wow. And, you know, granted, I was making a lot more money than I was when I was in the Marines, had benefits and stuff, but it just wasn't, it just wasn't what I wanted, you know, like at 26, I was just, man, I got to do something, you know, like, what am I going to do? So then I jumped into the MMA world and started doing some local MMA and jujitsu, which is cool because that's led into my current career as a jujitsu coach. Oh, sweet. Yeah. And so I just was getting frustrated with, you know, the corporate world. I was just, man, this is what the corporate world is like. I'm like, I don't want to do this. And so I left them and I was actually going to go back in active duty in the Marine Corps. And on my way to the recruiting office, I got a call from one of the recruiters from Blackwater. And she's like, hey, this is so-and-so from Blackwater. We, you know, we got your resume. We got your, your interim clearance came through. We'd like to get you in for a training slot. And I was like, yes, I'll take it. Let me call you back in like 20 minutes. I got to go tie up some loose ends. So <laughs> walk in the recruiting office. I tell the gunny in there, I'm like, hey, gunny, I got this opportunity to go overseas and work as a contractor. And he's like, shreds the paperwork. And he's like, get out of here, devil dog, go have fun. So, um, yeah, jumped into that, uh, you know, managed to get over to Afghanistan. I, I'm kind of sad that I didn't get to go to Iraq because that was like the infamous Blackwater days, you know. But yep, yep. the guys that were in Afghanistan were a little more quiet. You know, we did things a little more clandestinely. <laughs> we stayed out of the limelight, more or less. 
Yeah, you know, funny enough, our, our last guest was actually Barry Rice. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep. And he just came out with his book recently, and, and uh, we had the opportunity to chat with him, get his perspective on that high threat perspective, mm-hmm. um, working in, in an active combat zone, which is very different from yeah. the domestic world that, that most of us live and breathe in. Oh, for sure. Um, but let's go back to that J.B. Hunt Transportation Services. Yeah, yeah, no worries. You know, um. You're transitioning out of the military. That is historically a difficult transition for a lot of people. And uh, you got there, like you said, uh, you actually nearly 180 back to the military. And uh, so what was going through your head just through that process? You, you get back to the civilian world and, and you know. Got out. You know, I was, I was dealing with, you know, uh, some PTSD just like everybody else was, you know, that had seen combat or, you know, and it affects us all in different ways. I was working like two or three jobs. I was bouncing on the weekends. Um, I was lifeguarding on the weekends as well. I even worked at Abercrombie and Fitch for a bit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is, which was funny. Um, and then, uh, the JB hunt thing came up. I was like, Oh, maybe I'll just put an application in with them. So I did, the uh, the guy called me and he was, a he was a Marine vet and, you know, and he basically hired me on the spot. Um, he was literally trying to transit. It's funny. He was trying to transition all of his staff from ex law enforcement to to military. Interesting. Veterans getting out because a lot of the guys were getting older, you know, and they were getting close to retirement. Yep. So he had hired a bunch of vets, you know, and it just, you know, I liked it at first. It was a great experience. It was good step into the corporate world, which, you know, helps me out and my modern, you know, with protection work and stuff. But it just wasn't that excitement that I was looking for, that camaraderie that I was looking for, you know, that that brotherhood that I lost getting out. Yeah. Yep. And I was just after about 10 months of it, man, I just I just couldn't do it anymore. Um, the grind, I was just, man, I need more, you know. So that's kind of in my head, I just would sit there at night and you know, you got nothing else to think about when nothing's going on. And so you just start thinking and reminiscing about old days and, you know, what you just did, you know, like I had that feeling like a lot of us did getting out. It was just like, man, I could drive this truck. I could do this. It's that, that quintessential Rambo scene, you know, from Rambo one, where he's like, I can fly a helicopter, you know, like not, not to that extreme, but <laughs> yep. you know, it's just, just that mentality. And I just couldn't do it anymore. You know, I was like, man, I got to do something. So like, Hey, let's go back in the Marine Corps, you know? Um, and I had totally forgot that I had put an application in with Blackwater, like literally like the day I got out. Oh, that's funny. Um, I had sent that into them and hadn't heard anything back. No kidding. Um, but while I was like first couple months, I was in that JB Hunt job. I was on, uh, I still had MySpace at the time. Uh, and I had a Facebook. And so I was like, just looked up like contractors, you know, or guys I could just, I just went down a rabbit hole trying to find people. And then I just started networking and talking to guys and, you know, guys that are been over there doing stuff. And I was like, man, well, how do you get into this? You know? And thankfully one guy, I, you know, befriended me. He was like, Hey man, send me your resume again. Cause I'll shoot it up and see, see where it goes from there. And then I didn't hear anything for like nine months. It's a long time. But back then it took a long time, you know? Kind of like who you knew. Oh yeah. In the early days. Yep. You know, from like 2003 to I'd say about 2007, it was pretty much who you knew, um, unless you just had the absolute tip of the spear, you know, background. Um, you know, those guys. It took forever to get in. So. Yeah, you know, you're you're talking about a time that 
to so many is foreign. You know, now we've got guys getting in the industry who didn't grow up in that era, didn't uh, come to age in that era. And it's just, it's such a different world. Yeah. Networking is so easy now with LinkedIn and, and other applications and ways to stay connected across the world. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a totally different world what you're talking about here, having to sift through MySpace, which we all know is not built for that type of networking at all. <laughs> oh, it wasn't at all. Um, you know, it's funny. I even would like Google like military contractors, you know, and then I catch the links and it's funny as like, that was like my first, I didn't realize it at the time, but it was my opening to open source information and how to gather open source information, which is what we do in protective intelligence. Absolutely. And so, you know, I even write that in my book about the networking aspects of all that, you know, it's like, man, you got a network yep, and, and it paid off. So, so let's dig in a little bit, um, to this time where you're working, you know, contract diplomatic protection. Mm-hmm. And, uh, while you were in Afghanistan, you covered general, uh, Carol Eikenberry and his spouse, and then also mm-hmm. ambassador, uh, William Wood. And, uh, yeah. talk a little bit about that. We don't have to get into too much of the granular. Um, but what was that experience like? Cause I'm sure it was a little bit different than, uh, being in the Marine Corps. It was. And, you know, um, in any BW guy or any contractor that's been in the, the PMC side, the private military contracting that did protection work. Um, actually let me back up for a second. I just want to state a lot of people think that we're like this offensive force. We don't go offensive and it's more defensive. We're strictly defensive window dressing to look tough. Um, but can be very lethal if we have to be, you know? Um, yep. but anyway, so just had to throw that out there. We've actually talked about that a little bit with, with Barry yeah. about kind of the perception and, and, uh, he got to give his take on, you know, what Blackwater was to him and the reality as opposed to everybody else throwing their, their mud in, in the water and, uh, without actually being there and, and knowing what your guys SOPs were, you know? Yeah. I mean, we were, we had strict SOPs. Um, you know, we, we, we literally, I mean, there was things we could do non-lethal that could get, you know, hit people off the road. We were training that kind of stuff, you know, and we didn't do it very often. Um, it was very rare that we did that kind of stuff. Uh, people thought we were just running a gun and all the time. We're really not. I mean, it was a, it, it's a good week if you don't get shot at or don't get in a firefight, you know? Yep. That's, that's all. That's, it's just like in protection work in general. It's your ultimate goal is to not get into an engagement. Exactly. It was, it was a great experience. Uh, I, I was actually, it was an easy transition for me because a lot of the guys on my team were military or, you know, and they took a lot of law enforcement guys back then. If you had SWAT, um, or any kind of specialized training with law enforcement. So they took a lot of those guys and, you know, and I, I, I owe my success in that, in that time with Blackwater to my team leaders. I had the greatest team leaders ever, man, on the ambassadors T deal. Uh, these guys were older than me, much older than me. Um, you know, I'm in my mid late twenties. Um, they, uh, you know, they were already in their late thirties, forties, couple of them in their fifties. You know, they've been around the block for a long time. And I owe my success to them for the things that they taught me. But now getting in, man, it was it was awesome. Um, you get to be around people that you just you read about, you know, you see in TV, see in books or reading books and whatever. And it, it was it was actually an honor, you know. And there's there's times where it was. Yeah, it was horrible. It sucked, you know, but it was boredom. But, yep. you know, for the most part, 
man, I had the greatest time of my life there. Um, met some of the best, best friends I've ever had. Um, still to this day, um, guys, I can just call and rely on. And that's, that's one thing I want to touch on with Blackwater. Um, you know, we have our Blackwater Alumni Association dinners and galas every year and meetups. And there's nothing like that brotherhood that I've ever experienced outside the military. Something about what Eric Prince started back then in 1997, roughly, was just, yeah, man, so it's so hard to explain unless you've been there. It's just, it's just one of those things. It's like, wow, we were part of this, you know, like, you know, there's, there's a, um, there's a documentary called Shadow Company, and it talks about private contractors overseas and stuff. And there's a quote in there. One of the guys says, he goes, you cannot talk about the global war on terrorism without talking about black. And so it was just an honor to be part of that and to learn from the guys that I learned from, to be around um, the politicians, you know, to learn from them and see their side of things, too. You know, see how diplomats actually work overseas. You're absolutely right. You know, people give politicians a bad rap. And, you know, and there's for good reasons, but, you know, the diplomats that are on ground doing stuff overseas, they actually do good work. Yeah. You know, and, and it's a, it's a beyond challenging environment. Oh, for sure. You know, these, these guys that are trying to do diplomatic work and an active war zone, it's a very different world from your traditional, uh, diplomatic environment. Yeah. It's not your meet and greet at a dinner, you know, in uh, Geneva or something, you know. So before we peel from that, you know, I'm curious, you had not just the general protection, but also the spousal protection. And uh, what was that like in this kind of setting? Because I, I imagine it's extremely different from dealing with spouses on this side of the street where you're in a, in a totally different environment. Yeah, for sure. So like when you go from like protecting like a former army general who who knows combat, he knows he knows what to expect when he's in a zone like that. Uh, the spouse, not so much. And so I say you got to handle it with kid gloves at first, but honestly, she knew, she knew the rules. She knew what it was like. It was almost like she had been there herself in her husband's shoes. Yeah. And, and essentially she had been, cause she was living there. Um, you know, so the, the protection of her was no different than protecting him or anybody else, really. Um, you really have to watch what you say, <laughs> you know, around certain types of principles. Uh, but, you know, other than that, it was pretty much pretty much the same kind of protection detail. Nothing too crazy. So You wrap with your time in Afghanistan and uh, you actually went with Blackwater um, do you want to talk about your time with the CIA doing any of the contracting you did there? Or... Yeah, I can a little bit, you know, I can't get in too far into the weeds with it. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, it's funny. I was, um, we were taking the ambassador over to a meeting, um, with some other people and, uh, I ended up seeing a friend of mine, um, a guy that I grew kind of sort of grew up with, like, hmm. you know, he did a couple years in my high school and then left and never heard from him again. The guy looked familiar. What a small world. Yeah, super small world. <laughs> and uh, I see him. I was like, hey, man, I was like, I know you from somewhere. And he's like, yeah, where do I know you from? I was like, where are you from? And he goes, oh, I'm from, you know, Northwest Arkansas. And I said, oh, shit, man. Yeah, me too. I was like, when did you graduate college or high school? And he goes, 1990. I was like, dude, same. And so we end up like talking and we end up finding out, hey, wait, wait, wait a minute. We know each other, you know? Yep. <laughs> and so I was like, man, what are you doing over here? And so he explained what he was doing, you know, and, and I was like, oh, man, I, 
And it's kind of been my goal in my head to like kind of get into this, into that world, you know, in the intelligence community. Mm-hmm. And he goes, well, hey, man, um, he goes, I know the people at your company. He goes, um, send me a resume. So it was another networking, you know. Yep. It all went back to that. It's kind of who you knew. And so uh, 2009 came around. Um, my uh, A cousin of mine had passed away. He was real close to me. So I went home on emergency leave and um, was trying to come back after the 10 days. And I couldn't get a slot to come back. Oh, wow. Which I was like, well, what's going on? You know, why, why can't I get back? And then uh, they had already filled my slot to go back over there so i had to wait like another few months but it was like perfect timing because that side of the house called me and this says hey your clearance came through we need to put you in a vetting class and i was like okay perfect so resigned from the the protector's detail side went over there um went to training with the vetting course and then deployed again back to afghanistan uh just on the other side of the house and spent better part of almost 12 and a half years there roughly uh in various places all over the country and a couple other places here and there outside the country um but yeah man that i mean honestly that was the that alone was the greatest experience of my life um just the people that i met the people i worked with it's kind of funny how people on the outside will say oh well they're responsible for this and that and that and, you know, and the conspiracy theories and the rumors you hear, and you hear it when you're there too. Mm. And a lot of it has to do with old stories from like the forties, fifties and sixties when the crazy shenanigans of stuff were going on, Yep. you know? And so it's kind of, they get a bad rap, but man, I tell you, that was the best organization I've ever worked for in my entire life. Um, miss it every day, but it's also not conducive to a family environment. <laughs> so... It, it certainly makes it a little harder when you're uh, globetrotting around the world. Yeah, I mean, you're gone 60, 75 days at a time. Some some guys are gone longer. Yep. Um, you know, and if and if you're a direct employee for them and you're deployed, you're there for an entire year. Yeah, they own you for that. With like, you know, a couple weeks off here and there. So Yeah, and you know, we actually had, uh, oh goodness, over a year ago now, we had uh, Sarah Adams yeah. and Dave Boone Benton on. Yeah, Boone. Both uh, talk about their experience uh, in Benghazi before and after. Um, and uh, Sarah always speaks very highly of the protection that she had, regardless of who it was. Um, I think there's a shared uh, professionalism that goes beyond the individual protector in that environment. Oh, for sure. And uh, and you were kind of alluding to that with the the alumni that you have um, and and saying that. Yeah. And it's wild because, you know, when you get there, you know, you're working around people that have a very vast difference of of opinion on life and a view of how society should be um, and just experience in general. Yeah. And so, you know, a lot of them never seen a gun until the time they had to deploy. Yep. Or never met guys like, like me or anybody else or like boom. Mm-hmm. And so the professionalism that we learned from the military, we carried that over into this, into this world. And I think that they were, a lot of them respected that uh, despite political differences or whatnot. We just throw all that out the door and just go straight for the mission. You know, 
Yep. Like it wouldn't matter if they said something and we just totally disagreed with it and couldn't stand it and thought they were a, a total idiot for saying it. We still protected these people, you know, and, and, and they appreciated it. So, yeah, I think that speaks uh, volumes to the professionalism, as you, you mentioned, um, to work in that environment, like you said, with people that maybe in a, in a different, uh, different uh context uh they'd be the last person that you'd sit down and split a beer with or something yeah you know and and here you are uh uh managing their protection and uh and what's wild is you end up becoming one of their best friends you know i still got great friends that still do do amazing work over there overseas and you know they're some of the lifelong friends and you know people that i yeah we have total polar opposite polar opposite politics and the way we live our lives but they're great people underneath it, you know? Yep. I've always called it the thread principle. You just need one thread to connect. Yep. And you guys had a, a very intense commonality um, that you experienced. Sure. And uh, there it is, you know, and, and everything else hits the wayside. Um, but I want to move to the founding of your company. You're, yes. you're, you're getting to this point. You're coming back. Um, now, uh, refresh my memory from what I was reading um, were you doing this in concert with your contracting work still overseas when you first started? A little bit. A little bit. So a little bit overlay. I had started the company, um, you know, just like we all start companies over there. We're all our own LLC. Yep. And so I had started this company. I actually had named it something else before. Uh, and then I rebranded it uh, to fit more my life and kind of what I, the direction I wanted it to go. Yep. And so... We uh, so I started this and realized, like, when I got out, you know, I left Afghanistan in mid November of 2019 was my last deployment. That was my that marked my 43rd deployment in a war zone in 21 years, man. And man, it's like, man, I, I think I've had enough, you know, like, mm-hmm. I'm constantly gone all the time, you know, and it was kind of a blessing because COVID had hit. And I wasn't able to get back overseas. And so I was like, oh, man, I got to do something. Uh, so I took a kind of a low end security job with uh, Walmart headquarters because they're they're right here in my town. Um, you know, just just working static guard, basically basic patrol. You know, it was crazy because they were shut down, too. So I'm like literally go from like the super high threat environment <laughs> in this like crazy, murky shadow world of work to patrolling empty parking lots <laughs> you know and so yep it was just one of these things like another thing just like jb hunt it was just this mental like three 180 and so was there for about five six months i was actually trying to get on their protection team uh but they just weren't hiring because of covid mm-hmm. and so i had a friend reach out to me and he's like hey man i know you have your protection you know your side your company and stuff he goes got a guy that needs protection uh i don't know how to run it uh you know what 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 kind of questions should i ask et cetera, et cetera. so i kind of sat down with him and explained to him like okay this is how you would run start up a program um you know what is the client looking for what is their lifestyle you know you need to know their net worth. You need to know their movements. You need to know what vehicles they drive. You know, the whole gamut of everything. Basically, you need to like know exactly what they want and need in their life and what the threats are. Mm-hmm. That's the most important part. Very important. And so 
I explained it to him. And then about two weeks into it, he calls me, can you just come run this for me? Um, And I said, yeah, sure. And so long story short, we kind of had odds. This uh, friend of mine, someone that worked for his company, we just didn't see eye to eye on how to run operations. Uh, So I left. um, And then a little while later, the client actually like reached out to me and hired me directly. Um, and he's like, Hey man, I just want to keep you on. Um, you know, can you be an embedded consultant or embedded employee? And he's like, yeah, sure. No worries. You know? And so started working for this private family and just building up my own solo program with them. And so that's kind of how I transitioned into the civilian side of protection work. Let me go back a little bit. So in between deployments with Blackwater and then, um, you know, the other side of the house, I had done a few contract positions here and there uh, with some people I knew going down to Mexico with some people going down to South America, a couple other places going to Europe, uh, doing some really small, what we call the, what we now call CovePro, the, the covert protection, doing some really small work like that, you know, here and there. So that was actually my initial entry into the EP side of things. And then it just went on tenfold on this mm-hmm. being a straight solo protector. You're the only guy, uh, you know, you're running everything from residential to corporate security, to threat management, to protective intelligence, to following people, you know, the, the advanced work, you know, so it's just, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're going to dig in in a minute on that. Um, but before we do, um, let's get a little bit more context about your company yeah no worries you know you set up this security crisis management company what is your guys's specialty what kind of services do you really like to dig into yeah so the big specialties uh it's mostly you know protection executive protection uh that that, i'd say that's the number one because that's the number one cash cow for us and i say us it's basically me i do have another consultant that's on there that i refer to for um advice on things yeah and he would actually would be a great guest for your show too. So is he, uh, does he actually run another podcast with, uh, yes. With Kelly Sayer. Yeah. The, yeah. Uh, yep. the Thrive Unafraid podcast. Great. Yes. Great duo. Yeah. Great duo. I've, we're actually from not too far, uh, in the same state. Okay. Uh, yeah. Originally. So we bonded off of that years ago when she came out here. Okay, cool. She was giving her lecture, her, her, uh, her spiel. Yeah. And, uh, it's incredible, especially for, the individuals who don't have the luxury of being protected by people like us. Exactly. You know, and uh, the everyday people and the people that we leave to go protect others, mm-hmm. which is mostly family and friends. Um, so not to derail yeah, it, no, but so- great, great other podcast. We'll throw it in there and uh, I'd love to have them on uh, in the future as well. So, no. So, um, you know, I, I kind of dived into kind of consulting stuff. You know, I really wanted to, I really kind of wanted it to go into the crisis management, into like the kidnapping ransom and stuff. But the the deeper I got into that and researching, mm-hmm. and I talking to other professionals and and you know guys that I that I look to as a mentor for that type of work, they said it's very hard to get into. Uh, you better have foreign languages. You better, you know, they say it's easier to just to hire somebody that already has the experience and then put them on your payroll. Uh, but at the time, I don't I don't really have any clients, didn't really have any clients that needed that kind of service. Yep. So it's a service that I do offer, but it's one of those things where I will farm it out to my network, uh, essentially. And I can be like 
the meet and greet guy, you know? Yep. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. But no. And then, so we got, I, I started uh, trying to get into the training side a little bit too. Um, you know, as you know, in this world we live in, everybody thinks that they're uh, some sort of tactical trainer coming out of military, even people with no experience. They're out there and they're doing it. Yeah. They think they're doing it and some of them are killing it. Yes. You know, there's some really yes high speed civilian instructors out there that really know what they're doing. But, um, but no, so it did, it did a little bit of training with some local law enforcement, uh, not a lot. So that's not a real big portion of the company. Uh, the biggest portion is the executive protection side and then the consulting side with some other uh, clients like, um, like the Joseph Rainey Center. You know, I do some work for them um, on the side, but then I also do some consulting, you know, speech work for them, like talking to some of their other clients about safety, security, national security, things that affect them, you know, as um, politicians and whatnot. Yeah, you know, uh, that might be the interesting nexus with your time in Afghanistan working around these diplomats is you've got an interesting perspective being around this world in a different context than many. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure they love having your insight Mm -hmm. over there. Yeah, it's weird. It's like you, you come from being the operator. You don't necessarily... You're not necessarily being the diplomat, but you see how it works. And, and I, there's no magic science to being a diplomat. There's no magic science to anything of like that. It, it's just, it's a conversation you're having with somebody. It's what I figured out is like, okay, what do you need? This is what I need. How can we get to this middle ground? And that's all negotiation work. You know, I read a book years ago that uh, I can't remember the exact title, but it was on the premise of um, you you don't get what you deserve in life. You get what you negotiate. Yeah. And, you know, I read that book probably six, seven times in in between my or, you know, in the middle of my deployments. Amazing book. Um, I'll have to find the author and send it to you. It's a, it's a really, really good book. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, I realized like that is life. That is conversation. It's just having conversations with people and telling them straight up. Okay. What's your threats? What's this? How can we help you? You know, this is how you deal with it. hundred percent. And so I just took that mentality into my life and use it for every aspect that I can. So that's great. Especially with the business side. I mean, it, it works works out the best with that because you're just having conversations with people and that's all really protection work really is is just getting to know someone and figuring out their routine of life and then you adapting to that and knowing what they're and how to protect them against these threats while they can still live their lifestyle so absolutely and uh much like i never thought i'd be ever running a podcast you'd been doing this work for a little bit a lot of bit actually and uh you turned your work into a book. Yeah, uh, but but not a not a memoir. That's coming later. That's coming so. later. You're still you're still grinding. Yeah. Um. But you write this book about solo protection. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, a lot of people, especially when they enter into this uh, into this industry, they have all these assumptions, right? And a lot of them are born out of either stories from military contractors. Or movies that do everything but show what actual protection is like. Yeah. You know, and uh, you talk about that a little bit in your book, and I won't spoil it for those who are going to read it. Um, but it's somewhat 
you know, can be jarring for people when they get to the realities of protection and you realize clients aren't going to pay for the equivalency of what the president gets, you know? Exactly. And, uh, some do, some clients do, but others, others, most clients don't. Most clients don't. The, uh, the amount that do is, is very slim. And then uh, when you get into industry, you realize even some that you would assume would don't. And I got a buddy who's doing solo protection for a major company, one that we would all assume has an apparatus out the wazoo mm -hmm. and it's him and one other guy. Yeah. Um, so the realities are, are totally different than what the assumptions are in most cases. Um, but what inspired you to focus on this niche of solo protection? So, you know, I, if, since you've been following me on LinkedIn for a while, so I put out these EP tips, um, executive protection tips of the day or whatever you want to call them. Um, and I just had a lot of guys reaching out to me that were new in the industry and like, Hey man, how can we get into solo protection? Can we get into that side of it? You know, I've been working, I've been grinding on this for, you know, months and months and a couple of years, some of them for years, you know, as, as, as like my friend, Chris story would say the halls and walls, you know, the guys just stand in the halls and walls. Um, you know, so I was like, man, what, what can I do to help these guys kind of like transition into this? Going into solo protection, it, it goes back to kind of like who you know, and it's the right time, right place, and it's the right opportunity. Um, not every millionaire and billionaire needs protection. Uh, some do, some don't. And so some have various sized teams. You'll have teams like, you know, the Gates, you know, the... the the Elons of the world, you know, the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world who have these massive teams, but even their massive teams are small compared to federal teams that protect, do protection work, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, the Secret Service is a giant organization. They just, they don't just do protection work. Yes. Um, you know, they're a full on law enforcement agency that handles all kinds of stuff. And so a lot of people like think that like, oh, that's how protection should be modeled off of. To a certain extent, Yes because they've kind of wrote the book on protecting people. Uh, but protection work has been around since the Crusades. You know, I mean, the the Knights Templars, which is funny because Blackwater, we all called ourselves Knights Templars when we were over there. You know, we had Templar 1, Templar 2 teams, you know, things like that. Yep. <laughs> uh, you know, we kind of model ourselves after that old school kind of protection. Mm -hmm. And solo protection is no different. Um, you know, you're just, it's a one-man show essentially sometimes just a two-man show uh and you're doing a lot more work you're handling a lot more things uh, especially if you have a client that's a private client like myself is just a mm -hmm. very high net worth family and you know they all have every client has their nuances and so you as i think it's you as the solo protector you have to have one of the highest levels of emotional intelligence and i speak about that in my book yep you do you know, not everybody can handle it. Uh, I've seen guys on the solo side that, man, they last, I've seen guys last years and I've seen guys last a day or two because they're just like, nah, I can't do this. You know, I'd rather just go back to being told what to do. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I mean, everybody's got their thing, you know? Yeah. Those guys make great money and they're, they're great protectors. You know, it's just, there's some aspects of the protection industry that's just not for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a very people person. I'm very extroverted. Um, you know, it's funny. My clients are not extroverted at all. Um, and so, but we work, you know, we, I 
you know, we respect each other's boundaries. And that, that's the biggest thing that people need to learn about in solo is respecting boundaries. Um, you can't be the overbearing, like on top of somebody, uh, especially if it's a corporate client or just a private family. Uh, and I speak about that in the book as well. You have to find that fine balance. Sometimes you're their best friend. Sometimes you're their the first person they meet in the morning, they see in the morning and the last person they see at night before they go home, uh, especially if you're a driver for them. And so you got to learn how to be their friend, yep. be their employee, be their protector, be part of the family, but not part of the family. And I always make a joke with guys. I'm like, yeah, you work for billionaires and millionaires. You get to be, you get to live the lifestyle with your couple of hundreds. Yep. You know? Yep. <laughs> and you're walking that tightrope every single day, you know? Yeah. If you use that mentality, that's what you, that's how you got to look at it. So exactly. And we've talked about it before in this podcast, the very big difference between somebody being assigned protection mm -hmm. and choosing to have protection. Yeah. Choosing to have protection, a lot of, they don't know what they need. Yep. So you have to show them. Okay, do they actually need it? Um, you know, fortunately, I've worked for clients in the past where I'm like, okay, you don't need protection. You just need to change up some things in your lifestyle. Yep. You know, change up your routines, things like that. And so I like to be that kind of force multiplier with people, you know, when I go into work. And so I wrote the book essentially for guys already in our industry to see kind of a glimpse into what it's like to deal with a high net worth individual or a high net worth family or a corporate client, a major CEO that only has a handful of guys or one guy protecting them or one, one girl. I've met plenty of female protectors out there that are doing solo protection. Mm -hmm. uh, like uh, my friend Danita Grove, she runs the nanny guards and the Groves are amazing people. And, you know, she has nannies, female nannies that are bodyguards, you know? And they're they're essentially solo protectors. They they run a very cool niche in this protection world, and it was something that was needed, and they identified it. Yeah, and uh, they took a lot of people who don't self-identify as protectors mm -hmm. and added that layer for them. For sure, um, because they were already out there doing the work; they just didn't understand it or know it. Yeah, and that's essentially what I've learned to do in solo protection. You know, you're the only person that is. Yes, you are the subject matter expert. You are the protector themselves, you know, above everybody else. But I've learned to rely on others that are around the clients, yep. train them up on security practices. Not so much just like, hey, the old school, get behind me, you know, <laughs> you know, get them off the X. But the classics training, yep. Yeah. But, you know, some of that, you know, but mostly situational awareness, what to look for. Yep. How to how to de-escalate certain situations, the very the soft skills that I talk about in my book. Uh, those are the kind of things I've really kind of honed and trained my uh, my clients staff on. I think that's great. And uh, we've had the grows on actually together um, in the past. Oh, that's awesome. And they talked about it in depth, what they did. And uh, they just have a cool story of, of how they came together to be two powerhouses individually. And then they combined and, and they are doing some great stuff together. I mean, I make a joke all the time. I call them the, their Mr. and Mrs. Smith of the protection. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> and two incredibly nice people on top of it all. Yeah. Um, and 
your book covers exactly like what you were saying, leveraging those around you, that circle that's beyond just yourself. Um, you cover an incredible amount of stuff from this. I mean, it's like nine chapters. I mean, I can't even remember how many pages it is here, but it was great. It's funny. I, I, I wanted to keep it at about nine, 10 chapters. Yeah. I did want it to be like this big, thick novel um, of, I didn't want to lose people Yeah, uh, in the book. I wanted it to be straight up, down and dirty. This is black and white. This is what, you know, this is the techniques, the tactics that I've kind of used and learned and adapted to my life, you know, and, and the work that I've done. It might work for you. It might not. But these are some of the general guidelines you should go off of when you do get a client that is single individual or just a high net worth family or even just a single corporate CEO or something. You know, these are the best practices that i've seen so far in my world that have helped us so yeah no you cover i mean you cover a lot um and i just took a peek at it because the amount of times that i've actually used a uh the kindle app uh to get a book but i wanted to get this speedy uh between when you released it and and since we're talking now yeah um but you cover i mean the the chapter titles are great here you know first of all you, you define what solo protection is you give the ins and outs of it you talk about the private family office, which is a lot of what guys will be doing in this environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, basic skills, backgrounds, hard skill and soft skill, which are, as we know, both important. Uh, the whole social media overlay. It's something these days that you just you can't leave out. Oh, yeah. The professional development, the mentoring, that's a huge one. But uh, the one that I want to talk a little bit about is this this myths and facts, right? And I thought that was great. I loved, I mean, I just, I enjoyed reading that portion of it. And uh, that was kind of like the comic relief I wanted to throw in. So, and it was perfectly placed on top of it all. I, I got to it and I was like, oh, and how you opened it was great. Um, but uh, I want to save that for the reader, but I, I do want to, uh, to ask you, you know, you, you share all these different ones. What was your favorite myth that you addressed in the book, if you have one? And uh, was there anything particularly interesting? I mean, so many people, you know, including myself, have misconceptions about protection work. And, you know, I kind of I kind of equate it back to my own life, how when I came out of the Marine Corps, I'd done, you know, Marine Corps martial arts. I was a martial arts instructor in the, in the Marines. And then it's like I get out and I start doing Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. And, you know, and I'm like, oh, I'm a badass. I could handle these guys. And then I get manhandled by 120 pound Brazilian, you know misconceptions big time you know uh so that that goes into just about any aspect of life i think one of my greatest ones was like people were like oh are you like kevin costner are you you know like the movies oh you're kind of like a man on fire you have this military background you have this intelligence background you went into bodyguard and you you know you can somewhat speak you can speak a foreign language or whatever you know and it's like uh, it's not like that you know it's like the greatest thing that movie ever got right was the relationship building aspect of client to protector, protector to client. Yep. That's about the only thing that movie really got correct. Great movie, you know. Um, it's like the protector's, you know, holy grail to watch, you know, so. Yep. Uh, but no, I just think those those misconceptions people have about, uh, and even protectors have about solo protection, like, oh, I'll never carry a bag. 
I'm not going to be that guy. And it's like, well, no, if you're a solo protector, you're going to carry a bag. Exactly. You just are. Um, you know, and I know I've hammered on this on LinkedIn and, uh, you know, Aaron Malden has hammered on this too, you know, on his protection tips and videos he does. You're, you're not just the protector, you know, well, I'm here. I was hired just to be the bodyguard. Okay. Well, you can go on to a different program because here I need someone to be fluid that knows different aspects of the life travel. Okay. We got to get their bags from A to B. How do we get that? Oh, we need to carry them. You know, there's nothing wrong with carrying a bag. You know, um, I've been plenty. I've been, I've worked for clients for plenty of times where I was shopping with them and I'm the one carrying all the bags and clothes, you know, and just like you see with celebrities, you know, that's essentially what it boils down to. Uh, so a lot of people don't think that you should do that or can do that or should do that. So that's kind of a misconception or a myth versus a fact um, that I've really kind of touched on. I'm, and I get hate for it on LinkedIn, but you know, it, it is what it is. So absolutely. And I remember, uh, I haven't seen it for a while now, and maybe I'm just missing out in the wrong threads. But uh, for a minute there, there was a big debate between pick up a bag or leave it there. And yeah, I just funny. I started one of those on LinkedIn a while back, and you know, I was like, to, it was on one of the EP tips, you know, and I use that in the book. I'm like, hey, do you carry or not to carry? And I was like, this is not about firearms. This is about do you carry your client's bag for them if they ask you to. You know, it's like, well, yeah, if it doesn't impede security or raise their threat and risk level, you. Yeah, you better pick up that bag. <laughs> yeah, I actually think I remember that one, and I think I may have commented on that. Yeah, I think it was you something did. to the extent. Yeah, it was something to the extent of context matters, you know. And it's like context very matters. This is not a job where it's black and white. No, very gray. Area. And a lot of the times, you have to huge gray areas, and you have to be able to operate that. And much to your point in this book, you have to have the critical thinking skills to be able to weigh all those things. And uh, I think you do a great job there. And and uh, I'm not going to spoil it for the people that are going to read this book, but when you go back to delegating tasks to others and you had that female client asking for a certain pickup uh, from uh, from a certain store and uh, yes. you delegated that out perfectly and that's exactly what you have to do. Yeah. Um, yep. So uh, so there's a lot of great stuff in here. It was dense. I looked at the numbers. I mean, you did it in under 70 pages. I mean, this is something that can be easily flipped through. I did it in about a week. Um, yeah. And that's, that was my goal was to keep it short. I did want to have it two, 300, 400 page book. It's, it's not like a, it wasn't like an SOP manual, Yep. you know? And so it was down and dirty. This is how solo operations work from my perspective. Not, and I even kind of put that in the book. Not every protection detail is going to be like, yes, yep. you have to adapt to what your environment is, what your situation is, what your client is, you know, what they want. Because ultimately, they're the ones cutting your paycheck. So exactly, it's things to think about and to put into your work as applicable. And I think you do a wonderful job there. Oh, I will say, let me hit on one real thing on the myth. Yeah, go for it. Uh, myth versus facts. The one thing that uh, you know, I talked to Chuck Randolph about this. You know, and I have a quote from him in there. Um, I, you know, I was like, when you should always say no to something that that you know is not outside your scope of work. Well, in solo protection work, you do things way outside the scope. And we talked about that the other day uh, with that one client, that thing we talked about, yep. <laughs> so, which I won't bring up. So we'll let them hit in the book. It's good. Yeah. But uh, no, it's like you do say yes a lot. You have to. Uh, but if you can't, 
if you know that that saying yes to them is going to raise their risk profile and their threat, how high is it going to raise it? Um, if it's going to raise it to where they're going to be in danger, maybe give them options. Yep. You know, and I talk about that, you know, in some of the chapters, give them options. Um, that's why you always have to have the backup to plan to the backup plan to the backup plan. Three different things going on, you know. And that all comes with experience and emotional intelligence and kind of foresight and kind of reading the situation that you're in. So 100%. I'm looking at that page right now. And uh, for anybody who wants to skip to it, it's page 37. So uh, <laughs> right there. And uh, so this is great. You know, um, you talked about writing a memoir later. I'm sure that's going to come way down the road. Um, for those who have not had the luxury of following you on LinkedIn, um, is that the best place? Is that where you're doing most of your networking? Stipe, uh, business work. Yes, they can hit me up on LinkedIn. Just uh, Justin Keating. It's J-U-S-T-E-N. I'm kind of odd and spelled different. Um, they can hit me up on Instagram. I'm very heavy on Instagram. Uh, the Real Irish Lad is my personal page. Uh, my business page is Keating Global Risks. Love it. Uh, you can find it on there. Uh, I have my author page on there. And then I, it's funny is I have a poetry page. Uh, where I write poetry or I've written poetry and I've actually published two poetry books on top of my security. No kidding. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> those both, what's funny is the poetry book launched before the security book did. And then that was doing pretty well. And then I was like, man, I need to do a follow-up to my poetry book because my first book is like real dark Edgar Allan Poe type you know, themed. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah. And then, so now my second book that just launched like a week ago, um, shows a lighter side of like how when I came from, so backtrack, I used poetry as a way to combat PTSD. I was just going to ask. So I get my thoughts out on paper to fight depression and stuff like that. Uh, so I had to get my thoughts out somehow. So I did in, in the words of poetry, never thought I fancied myself as a poet or anything of that nature, or even a writer. Um, but you know, I put them out. People loved it. And so I was like, oh, I'll make a book out of it, you know. And so I took all my poetry, made a book out of it. And I call that the Shrap Pod Chronicles. And I came up with that name because a while back I had started, a, I briefly started a, my own podcast called the Shrap Pod. And someone asked me, well, how did you get that name? And I said, well, Shrap, the shrapnel stands for shrapnel. And that, that's the wounds that we carry, whether they're physical wounds, mental wounds, metal in our body, whatever. And then pod, pod comes from like, you know, it's a small unit. You know, most of us that come from the military trained in either an infantry or we all work in small pods and small units. And especially on the special operations side, those guys are even smaller units. You know, I kind of just let's put the two together. So, well, uh, John Lovell may have coined the phrase warrior pull it, but you are definitely living the embodiment of it. So, uh, <laughs> that's awesome. That is, that is awesome, man. Well, uh, well, hey, we're gonna have to have you back in the future. There's definitely yeah, no worries, man. It'd be a pleasure. Uh, we won't wait till you drop your next book. Uh, we'll get you in there beforehand somehow. Yeah, no worries. Um, but thank you for sharing, uh, you know, your perspective. Uh, thanks for writing the book on solo protection there. Um, and uh, and I appreciate your time hanging out with me and and our audience today. So lots of good stuff. Thank you, bro. Yeah, thank you, man. Thanks for being on. To those watching, um, you can find my books at booksbyjustinkeating.net or you can uh, look them up on Amazon. Uh, oh, real quick, the second volume for the Protector series, 
will be coming out sometime after the first of the year. I'm drafting that right now. And that is focused more for the everyday protector, like the, the mom, the dad, the brothers, the sister, or just the individual who just wants to learn more about their security. I love it. That's a, people thought that this book, the first one, that's what it was about. I had people reaching out <laughs> to me like, oh man, solo protection. Yeah, my I'm a one-man bodyguard protecting myself. And it's like, okay, I realize like people are getting stuff from this book that they're adapting to their own life. And that's awesome. So it's like it's going across both worlds. No, it's, that's that's great. And and I mean, the fact of the reality is is everybody is their own protector. Um, just some other people have the luxury of having that hired out. Um, great stuff, man. A, uh, well, thanks for having me on, man. Appreciate Absolutely. It. And everybody listening, uh, until next time, stay safe.